From movies to music, from life to death, and everything pointless in between. Join myself and a gullible guest as we share opinions and discuss a range of topics each week. Hopefully they won't take me too seriously. <clears throat> Here's to the past, present, and pointless. Good morning, my love buckets, and welcome to a brand new episode of Beauty Unlocked. I'm Carissa. I hope everybody's having a lovely start to this week. Um, we are, well... I'm here recording on the last day of September. That's September the 30th. I can't believe that it's already the end of September and we begin October, my favorite month. It's the month of pumpkin spice everything and I am super excited. Nothing gets me off more than everything and anything pumpkin spice. If I could like sprinkle pumpkin spice all over me, I would. Unfortunately, I can't. I wonder if this would classify as a kink, like just getting off on pumpkin spice. And I know for a fact that I'm not the only one. And I know that I, I'm not the only one who absolutely fucking adores October as a month. So before we get into it all, let me just get into a bit of a story here. So last year, I introduced my sister and my niece to pumpkin spice, well, to Starbucks um, pumpkin spice frappuccino, and they became official addicts. And I'm like, yes, welcome to the dark side. And when was it? Last week, my sister called me and she's just like, guess what, you know, your niece is drinking. And I'm like, I don't know, apéjol. I have no clue. And she's like, no. And then my niece came onto the phone. She's like, I'm drinking pumpkin spice like frappuccino. I'm like, oh, my God. It was like the day after it came out. So basically, like normally pumpkin spice comes out 25th of September. This was on the 26th. And that Sunday... And I think if you follow us on Instagram, you would have seen my post. I'm, I'm holding pumpkin spice frappuccino. And seriously, I was on cloud nine. I cannot wait. I promised myself not to have one every single day. I was like, no, you got to control yourself and your urges, Carissa. Because when I tell you I love pumpkin spice, I am addicted to it. Um... Anyway, I'm not going to even get into that. But so, yeah, so I cannot wait for this Sunday. I'm just like, Sunday is my reward day for actually making it through the week. And I'm like, you're going to like give yourselves pumpkin spice frappuccino. So the guys over at um, Starbucks here in Bafos are just going to be like, oh, it's this bitch again. <laughs> they better remember my face and they better remember my order that I want a vegan pumpkin spice frappuccino with vegan whipped cream and my name is Carissa seriously like and that's all you need to know about me hi I'm Carissa 37 years old and I'm an addict to pumpkin spice pumpkin spice sprinkle it on my ass honestly all right, I'm going to stop with the <laughs> with me going on and on about pumpkin spice, but know that my brain, I am just hooked. October, I'm excited. There's tons of content I'm thinking of like producing for you guys. So, for the month of October, it's like a kind of uh, countdown to the 31st of October, my favorite favorite day of the year. <laughs> Halloween or Samhain. I seriously live and love love it. Uh, I hope that the weather here is going to get crisp and a bit chilly because um, we're still <laughs> we're still in about like what yesterday I think it was like 34 or 35 degrees and I'm like what is this what the hell is this like I want to be able to wear my beanies and my hoodies and my leggings and and everything my whatever I just want to be warm and cozy and just sip on some goddamn pumpkin spice frappuccino Seriously, enough with this heat, goddammit. It's like, enough. With all that being said, I hope you got a chance to listen to last week's episode where the daughter of Lilith came on and co-hosted um, Beauty Unlocked. We did an episode on WAP, wet-ass pussy. 
Um, quite a juicy episode. So if you haven't had the chance after listening to this episode, go and check out that episode. I've actually noticed that the episodes where the daughter of Lilith graces us with her presence are the episodes that have the most downloads. And I'm like, what are you guys trying to tell me? You getting bored of me? <laughs> You're damn lucky that I adore the daughter of Lilith. And so we still have actually one more part of our pornography series that we're going to be recording next week and dropping it probably Saturday because it just takes me a little bit longer to edit everything because as always, it's a one woman show and creating content and editing and you know just researching and recording and everything it's it's all me myself and I that do it so you know just have a little bit of patience with me so the days that like um we record with the daughter of Lilith are the days where I normally drop the episode on a Saturday instead of a Friday like I normally would I love you guys and you love us so you know have patience <laughs> Of course, it's not going to be our last collaboration with the daughter of Lilith. We're, we will, you know, she will come on to co-host Beauty Unlocked. Um, so no worries about that. Even though we're coming to an end of the pornography series, there's still going to be tons more of other collabs with her. Um, with that being said, we're going to get into this episode. Juicy topic. It's not about pussy. I had to stop and think about it for a second. I was like, is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and it's not about, it's not pumpkin spice related either. But it's a very thought-provoking episode. I think all episodes are, but <laughs> that's I'm me being biased right there. Um, but it's a very thought-provoking episode. And before all that, I just wanted to say um, that if you would like to support Beauty Unlocked, and everything that's beauty unlocked please head on over to patreon.com forward slash hold on i had to actually stop there for a moment because there was this motorcycle that just passed by and i'm like do you really have to make that much noise um so head on over to patreon.com forward slash beauty unlocked and sign up to one of our tiers become um, a patron of the patreon and we will be eternally grateful you get tons of perks extra content it's a bit more of like a personal space of course, there's like video and audio and I'm coming up with a whole bunch of other content. It's another more like personal space. Not that here it isn't <laughs> personal um, on the regular like episodes because I do share a lot of my life. But there you can get even more. And also, um, I'll be sending you goodies via snail mail. So check out the tiers. Um, head on over to patreon.com forward slash beauty unlocked we will be eternally grateful if you become a patron of the patreon leave some coin on the dresser with that being said are you ready so as you all know i'm always scouring the internet to see and find articles that i would find or that i do find fascinating and i'm like hmm this is interesting let's put this either in the special folder for those bonus episodes or for, you know, patron episodes or, you know, for regular episodes. Um, and then I was like, ooh, well, a couple of episodes ago, we, we discussed about cellulite and how cellulite when wasn't, it's more of an invented word. It's not what we think of today as apparently that orange, uh, you know, orange peel that we say we have, you know, uh, located a lot of the times, you know, behind the back of the thigh and things like that. And it's more of like a, a construct, a way for the patriarchy to control women and, you know, kind of point out and say, well, this is a flaw when in reality it isn't a flaw. It's just something that our body does. Um, but it's another way for the patriarchy to control us and to, you know, kind of enslave us. It pushes us to never be content with our bodies, to always find some sort of imperfection, some sort of flaw. And we spend tons of money trying to get rid of it or we spend time, ton of time thinking about Oh my God, I have like cellulite. Oh my God, I have stretch marks. Oh my God, like I have flabby arms. <gasps> my, my tits aren't up to my nose and this and I don't have the perfect like, you know, flat stomach. And so it just puts all this unnecessary worry. So I was just like, I need to find an article. I need to find a damn 
good article. And I did. And I'm going to share with it <laughs> with uh, I'm going to share it with you today. So saying that we're going to talk about first of all, we're going to get into a little bit of history. As you know, I'm a history freak emphasis on the freak. Um, but I found an, an article talking about the history of marketing. And you guys are thinking, oh, my God, Carissa, this is going to be fucking boring. Actually, no, this is going to show you how marketing it's all the psychological effects of marketing, but how it came about, who created it, the mastermind behind it, and how he became quite rich off of it, actually, and that we still use his marketing methods today. And so, yeah, so let's get into it. I'm, I'm actually super excited to share it with you. So I found quite a few articles, but it's um, they all relate to each other. It's basically how, whether it be the beauty industry, the health and wellness industry, um, this also diet culture that we have. So again, you know, this whole health and putting it again in an air quotes health industry, how they all profit from our insecurities. And again, they use marketing tactics for all of this to draw us in, to hook us, to bait us, to make us buy their products. But we're going, as I said, we're going to look at the history of marketing. This um, this article comes from Mark Manson. It comes from, uh, from his actual, his, it's an excerpt of his book, and it's How Your Insecurity is Bought and Sold. Um, modern marketing exploits your insecurity for profit. It's become so commonplace that we don't even realize it anymore. And now it's taking a toll. Now, there are a lot of things that we just don't realize anymore because we're just, it's so ingrained. It's just there. We're bombarded by these images that most of the time we don't realize what the hell, what the hell they're showing us. It's like our subconscious picks it up though. Um, even though, you know, we might glance at it and not give, a second thought to it our mind has gotten that image and it's in there it's in our memory banks and it does take a toll somehow and we're gonna see how especially through marketing so the article starts off by saying that in the 1920s um, women did not smoke and if they did they were severely judged for it and they would be labeled probably labeled as easy or something because that's how it was society I'm telling you so this posed a problem for the tobacco industry. Here you have 50% of the population not smoking. And it was seen as unfashionable or seen as impolite. And this simply wouldn't do, especially for the tobacco industry. So George Washington Hill, president of the American Tobacco Company, said at the time, it's a gold mine right in, in front of our yard. The industry tried multiple times to market cigarettes to women, but nothing ever seemed to work. The cultural prejudice against it was simply too ingrained, too deep. So then in 1928, the American Tobacco Company hired an Edward Bernays. He was a young hotshot marketer with wild ideas and even wilder marketing campaigns. This motherfucker, I'm telling you. So Bernays' marketing tactics at the time were unlike anybody else's in the industry. So back in the early, uh, early 20th century, marketing was seen simply as a means of communicating the tangible real benefits of a product in the simplest and most concise form possible. It was believed at the time that people bought based on facts and information. Now, this is quite interesting because when you look at some vintage <laughs> advertisements, and we've also talked about them, I think, in episode six, um, I, I don't know about the facts. I mean, somebody could just slap on there and say, approved by a doctor when it wasn't and you're selling people i don't know arsenic wafers to slather all over their face and well well friends let me tell you that's a death sentence right there but anyway bernays was more unconventional bernays didn't believe that people made rational decisions most of the time <laughs> so true in fact he believed that people were fundamentally irrational and so you had to appeal to them on an emotional and unconscious level does this sound kind of familiar? Dare I say it sounds a little bit like you're psychoanalyzing someone? No, nothing. We're going to get into it even deeper and deeper. <laughs> so whereas the tobacco industry had been focused on convincing individual women to buy and smoke cigarettes, Bernays saw it as an emotional and cultural issue. 
If Bernays wanted women to smoke, then he had to shift that balance and turn smoking into a positive emotional experience for women by reshaping the cultural perceptions of smoking. Mm. To accomplish this, Bernays hired a group of women and got them into the Easter Sunday parade in New York City. So this is what he planned. Uh, the women would be in this parade and at the appropriate moment, all of them would stop and light up cigarettes at the same time. Then Bernays hired photographers to take flattering photos of the women, which he then passed out to all the major national newspapers. Bernays then told the reporters that these ladies were not just lighting cigarettes, but they were lighting, uh, lighting, excuse me, torches of freedom, demonstrating their ability to assert their own independence and be their own woman. Mm -hmm. It was all fake, of course, but Bernays staged it as a political protest because he knew this would trigger the appropriate emotions in women all across the country. Feminists had just won women the right to vote a decade earlier. Women were now working outside the home and becoming more integral to the country's economic life. Now, if you remember in that episode that we discussed where cellulite isn't real around the time of World War One, women started entering more and more the workforce. They because men were off fighting the war. So women had to get into those factories. They had to replace what men were doing um and so they were making their own damn money they were asserting themselves by cutting their hair short and wearing racier clothes okay women at the time saw themselves as the first generation that could behave independently of a man very true and many of them felt very strongly about this if bernays could just hitch his smoking equals freedom message onto the woman's liberation movement well tobacco sales would double and he'd be a rich man and it worked Women started smoking. Fuck me. <laughs> and I'm one of those fucking women. But anyway, we're trying to cut down, folks. We're trying to cut down that nasty-ass habit. I know, I know. So as we can see, Bernays really revolutionized the way marketing um, began, really. Because before, and I can, I can even post, like, before how advertisement was, you know, let's say in the late... 19th early 20th century and then we can see it how Bernays started using his tactics in advertising so we're going to just take a few well we're going to take a look at a few examples of this so Bernays went on to pull off these kinds of cultural coups regularly throughout the 20s 30s and 40s he completely revolutionized as I said market the marketing industry and invented the field of public relations in the process so, paying celebrities to use your product, that was Bernays' idea. So, we see this again, like, in today's advertising and marketing. You see all these A-listers, B-listers. You just see celebrities, whether it be sports stars, whatever. They're there advertising your product. Creating fake news articles that are actually subtle advertisements for a product, also his idea. Staging controversial public events as a means to draw attention and nor notoriety for one of his clients, his idea as well. Pretty much every form of marketing or publicity we're all subjugated to today began with Bernays. But this is something surprising about this guy, this Bernays. Guess what? He was the nephew of a very famous psychoanalyst, Sigmund Freud. This is why I said in the beginning there where you have to tap into somebody's unconscious and emotional level. Well, kind of was like, well, this is a little bit of like psychoanalysis right there. Sigmund Freud. There you go. This is his nephew. So Freud's theories were some of the first to argue that most human decision making was primarily unconscious and irrational. Freud was the one who realized that people's insecurities drove them to excess and overcompensation. Freud was also the one who understood that people are, at heart, animals and are easily manipulated, especially in groups. Well, fuck me, Freud. <laughs> so Bernays just applied these ideas to selling products and he got rich in the process of this motherfucker. <laughs> so while I was researching, as, and of course they gave the example of the tobacco industry and everything, I was like, I remember years ago because I'm... I'm I'm a fanatic. Okay, I cannot say I'm a fanatic. That sounds so wrong. But I love vintage ads um, as sexist and misogynistic as they can be. I, I love the aesthetic. I love the pin pinup, um, you know, kind of aesthetic also. And this reminded me because 
when I was back in the day in university, I did do media communications as a minor um, when I was doing my uh, my BA. And so I guess the obsession started from there. But I remember coming across this ad. Um, it was an old ad about in the 20s or something about how um, the tobacco company started selling, okay, as we said, of course, to women. But um, I was like, oh, I remember seeing this ad where they would advertise that cigarettes were good for you to um, keep your weight off or actually make you lose weight. And I was like, where is this advertisement? Which you know which brand of cigarettes was advertising this so again i scoured the internet for you and i actually found um the um, the vintage vintage ad um and it's uh it was lucky strikes and it says to keep a slender figure no one can deny so it says a little bit of the background but it says since 1964 even more stringent restrictions have been introduced and this is regarding, you know, smoking, including the June 2009 FDA tobacco regulation bill, which gave the FDA extensive power over industry products, labeling ingredients and the size of the warning on packages. But um, claims like those featured in the 1929 Lucky Strike advert are now a thing of the past because seriously, they're a bit too much. The campaign, which was launched in 1928, encouraged women to reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. And it proved very successful because, again, you're putting an emphasis on what a woman looks like. And at the time in the 20s, it was the flapper style. It was very much the 1920s silent film stars. You had Rudolph Valentino. You had Clara Bow, who were these icons of the silent film era. And Clara Bow was, well, the the, the classic flapper girl, very thin, slim, a boyish kind of um, figure dare I say and so well there you go you're tapping into it you're thinking ah well instead of grabbing your chocolate ladies grab a lucky strike well thanks again motherfuckers um but of course because they were saying lucky strike this is one of those things again that we learn in marketing and advertising back in the day lucky lucky strike is kind of attacking the candy company and the candy company was not too fucking happy about it. They're like, hold up, motherfuckers. What are you saying right here? And so there was there were legal threats from the candy industry, you know, targeted at Lucky Strike saying, you know, cease and desist that kind of bullshit that you're pulling, you know, because you're taking away our clients. <laughs> but again, it proved successful because women, again, instead of reaching for that candy, you know, we reached for the lucky strike. And of course, there were brands like Virginia Slims. And this imparts an an unconscious message to potential female uh, consumers. Virginia Slim, you're going to stay slim. You're going to be slim. Keep smoking our, our, our brand of cigarettes, Virginia Slim. So all these messages, they're all unconscious. They, they reach us at a subconscious level. We don't even realize it. And then it stays ingrained and instilled into us. So there you go. Um, and like we said, this Lucky Strike campaign was launched back in 1928. So it was at the time of Bernays. So there you go. I'm telling you, these, these motherfuckers, they're on my shit list. Getting back to the article... All right, so through Freud, Bernays understood something nobody else in business ever understood before him. That if you can tap into people's insecurities, if you can needle at their deepest feelings of inadequacy, then they will buy just about any damn thing you tell them to. This form of marketing became the blueprint of all future advertising. So, for example, trucks are marketed to men as ways to assert strength and reliability. Fuck me, why is that word, like, difficult? Actually, words, they're just difficult. Makeup is marketed to women as a way to be more loved and garner more attention. Fuck off. Beer is marketed as a way to have fun and be the center of attention at the party. I mean, my God, Burger King used to market hamburgers with have it your way, which doesn't even make any sense. After all, how else does a woman's magazine that shows 150 pages of airbrushed pictures of women in the 0.01 percentile of the population in terms of beauty make money other than turning around and selling beauty products next to those exact same airbrushed women? It's genius, really. They're creating our insecurities, and there you go. Um, are then 
in the article, it gives the example of beer commercials that show ruckus parties with friends, girls, titties. What? Sports, cars, Vegas, friends, more girls, more titties, more beer, girls, 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 parties, dancing, cars, friends, girls. Drink Budweiser. What the fuck? The king of all beers, ya cunt. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I couldn't help myself. I swear, if anybody that happens to work at Budweiser just hears that bit, and I could edit it out, but I just couldn't stop myself. Uh, in all honesty, I don't remember Budweiser's um, advertisements being like that because when we lived in the States, obviously, they would, they would come on quite often. And I remember just the, you know, the Budweiser horses. I just remember that. And each time I think of Budweiser, apart from their famous, you know, tagline of the king of all beers, I just think of those horses. I don't think about titties whatsoever. Maybe I should really like look at beer commercials because wait a second. I don't, I, I can see how they would like, you know, advertise the whole uh, you know um getting together with your your friends and having a party and whatever but i never remember seeing titties in any of these commercials have i been look maybe it's so ingrained and so there that i don't notice them but tits i notice them shit like what the hell let's get back into it stop it carissa just be serious and stop thinking about pumpkin spice and titties and budweiser horses um so the article continues to to say that this is all marketing one 101 and the writer of the article says that when he first studied marketing um he was told to find people's pain points can you imagine and then suddenly make them feel worse what the hell he says and, and and i you know took it out but he said basically that he doesn't do that when he markets and advertises for <laughs> but this is what he was taught in marketing 101 is to find people's pain points and then make them feel worse like oh okay so in our culture today marketing often is the message the vast majority of information that we're exposed to is some form of marketing and so if the marketing is always trying to make you feel like shit to get you to buy something, then we're essentially existing in a culture designed to make us feel like shit and we'll always want to overcompensate in some way. Well, that's the damn truth, isn't it? That's the kicker of it all, seriously. So Bernays was aware of all of this and <laughs> Bernays' political view were like a diet version of fascism, um, Mark the writer says he believed that it was both inevitable and in everybody's best interest that the weak be exploited by the strong through media and propaganda hasn't changed he called it the invisible government oh honey <laughs> and generally thought the masses were stupid and deserving of whatever smart people convinced them to do do you know this is what kind of pisses me off though is that I, the invisible government listen the government I, I, you know and advertisers and whatever this is what pisses me off is that i'm not going to say there are many people that are woke all right at least they pretend to be woke but they're not and what pisses me off the most is that People think that we're that stupid. And I know, fair enough, that there's so many things that are subtly put into, you know, whether it be uh, music videos or, you know, whatever. You can see it anywhere. Anywhere where there's advertising and stuff like that. We can all see it and stuff. But what pisses me off is that they think that we're that fucking stupid. That we don't realize what they're doing, you know. And the thing is, it's a difficult habit to break. Um, because they make us need these products whatever it may be whatever industry um exploits our insecurities our our flaws perceived flaws they're the ones who created them in the first place they made it so difficult for us they they made it into this thing of where we're addicted to whatever product it may be doesn't matter what it is they make us believe that we want it that we need it as if it's our oxygen the thing is that the day when we turn around and say you know what? Fuck you. I love myself. Do you actually know how many industries would actually go down in flames and, you know, would file for bankruptcy because we would actually love ourselves, our true selves, regardless of what our body does, 
what it doesn't do. I mean, if we just actually loved ourselves and saw the true potential in ourselves, so many fucking industries would go down and we would never hear from them again. It's incredible how they just make us so addicted to it, like our oxygen, as if our life depends on these things. And it, our life really doesn't. All we need in reality is a little bit of food, air, and well, a roof over our head, but the vast majority don't even have that. Imagine that. Actually, the vast majority don't have a lot of what we take for granted. But in all reality, we just need a little bit of food, a little bit of water, and some air. That's it. That's all we need to survive. Yet all of this stuff is coming at us left, right, and center, telling us, you need us, you need us, you need us, you know you need us. Look at your neighbor. Look, he has this. You need this too. Look at that person on, I don't know, what magazine. You need like this cream to get rid of your cellulite. Look at this person. You need this surgery to have a flat stomach, just like this icon that you're obsessing about. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh my God, nothing. I can go on and on and on about it. And I actually am. <laughs> I hope you're still with me. Are you ready for more? Here we go. So our society has evolved to an interesting point in history. Capitalism, in theory, works by allotting resources to fulfill everyone's needs and demands in the most efficient way possible. But perhaps capitalism is only the most efficient means of fulfilling a population's physical needs. Needs for food, shelter, clothing, etc. Because in a capitalist system, it also becomes economical to feed into everyone's insecurities their vices and vulnerabilities, to promote their worst fears and constantly remind them of their shortcomings and failures. It becomes profitable to set new and unrealistic standards to generate a culture of comparison and inferiority because people who constantly feel inferior make the best customers. Should I repeat that again? Because people who constantly feel inferior make the best customers. <laughs> you know when you find such a damn good article that slaps you around with some truth and it just it just infuriates you and it just makes you rage and even though we know that this is the the harsh reality of things we still fall into the fucking trap oh man seriously <sighs> After all, people only buy something if they believe it will solve a problem. Therefore, if you want to sell more stuff, then there are problems. You have to encourage people to believe there are problems where there are none. If you remember an episode, I think it was with Cellulite 26, I think. I think it was 26. Cellulite wasn't what we know as cellulite today. The word didn't even mean the same thing. And here you are, you're creating a problem that doesn't exist. And therefore, we create a problem, we're going to create a solution for it. So, and then you're going, we're going to supply it, and you're going to demand it all the time. And we're, you're going to keep on demanding it because we're going to keep on feeding your insecurities. We're going to keep on showing you how inferior you are. We're going to live in this comparison culture and tell you, look at thy neighbor, look at that neighbor, look to your left, look in the front, look behind you, look in front of you, look at all the people around you. Look at how you fail compared to them. But we have a solution to your problem. And we can show you how you can erase these feelings of inferiority. Well, let me tell you, first of all, it's by shutting all of that shit out. You are not inferior. You are not a failure. You do not have shortcomings. It just, it just kills. Oh, nothing enrages me more. God damn it. <laughs> anyway, there isn't an attack on cap capitalism. Actually, yes, there is. On my part, there is, but it doesn't matter. It's not even an attack on marketing. Mm, I don't think there's some big overarching conspiracy to keep the sheeple in line. Actually, there is, but anyway. I think the system simply creates certain incentives that shape media. And then the media go on to shape a callous and superficial culture based on trying to always live up to something. This is, by the way, um, my, I'm, I'm, I'm inserting my commentary, but I'm just telling you what the article says. Overall, our system has done pretty damn well. Yes, it has. <laughs> and making us sick. And still does for the most part. 
I like to think of it as the least worst solution to organizing human civilization. Unbridled capitalism simply brings with it certain cultural baggage that we must learn to be aware of and adapt to. Oftentimes, the marketing in our economy pushes insecurity onto us that is not helpful and that intentionally triggers inadequacies or addictions within ourselves to make more profits. They keep making us sick. And it's not a conspiracy. It's the goddamn truth. Okay. People are going to be like, don't you think you're taking? No, I'm not. Don't gaslight me. I'm not taking it too far. It's the truth. They make us sick. They make us want, want, want. They create problems that don't exist. They try to hide the truth from us. But we know. They try to, you know, I just, I just get pissed off. I don't even want to talk about it. I can, I can cite so many different examples but it doesn't matter i'm gonna go back to the article um some may argue that this sort of stuff should be regulated and controlled by the government controlled by the government you know what fuck the government at this point anyway maybe that can help a little bit more actually it doesn't but it doesn't strike me as a good long-term solution no (laughs) the only real long-term solution is for people to develop enough self-awareness to understand when mass media is prodding at their weaknesses and to make conscious decisions in the face of those fears. I'm gonna read that again. The only real long-term solution is for people to develop enough self-awareness to understand when mass media is prodding at their weaknesses and to make conscious decisions in the face of those fears. The success of our free market has burdened us with the responsibility of exercising our freedom to choose. And that responsibility is far heavier than we often realize. That was such a good article. God, that was like orgasmic for me. I'm seriously hoping that it's just one of those thought-provoking eye-openers. Because even if we do realize it, we still buy into it. And it's, it's so deeply fucking ingrained into us that we can't stop it. It's, it's, it's an addiction. And we don't even realize that the majority of us have an addiction. I'm putting myself in there. Apart from the fact that I am a smoker. Oh, there's one addiction. Um, okay, and I'm a pumpkin spice addict addiction. But uh, I have a pumpkin spice ad- ad- addiction. I can't speak. Words are failing me. It's just we have addictions. And they're like our suppliers. They're our drug suppliers. Like seriously. And they're feeding our addictions. And sometimes we leave this world this world thinking that we failed and that's for me one of the hardest things to grasp is that many of us leave this world thinking that we failed and it's not true it's the system that failed it's the system that has fucked us up and we have to really start opening our eyes and say fuck this and i'm just going to put in there smash the patriarchy all right i just had to put my two cents in there but um that article was actually from the excerpt uh everything is fucked a book about hope so if you guys are interested in getting that book everything is fucked a book about hope and the article well the excerpt and the article was written by um mark manson so check it out i'll definitely put it up on the facebook page so that you guys can have a a look at it so everyone's probably thinking well carissa what did that have to do with beauty unlocked and it's basically to show you (laughs) how the many industries kind of profit and how they use marketing to their advantage they create problems where there are no problems so we can put it for example in the health and wellness industry in the beauty industry Um, They don't want to, for example, normalize normal bodies and what our bodies tend to do, whether it be stretch marks, cellulite, acne, body acne, whatever. They make it seem as a flaw, but in reality, it isn't a flaw. And so they make you want um, for you to buy their products, to use their products. Um, And there you go. But saying that, I found another interesting article, actually. And you guys are like, oh, God, please, God, no. <laughs> but this one was really good. It was from the Daily Eastern News. It was from DailyEasternNews.com. And it was written by Zoe Donovan um, back in 2019. And it's how the beauty industry profits from socialized insecurity. It's another article that I found orgasmic. 
So the article starts off by saying that human beings um, can be traced back to using uh, beauty products and cosmetics um, more than 6,000 years, and it started in ancient Egypt, and that's where they, and we discussed this, where they used to use coal to accentuate the eyes. So listen to this. The cosmetic and makeup industry that exists today is worth more than $532 billion. You want me to say that again? is worth more than $532 billion. And according to Zion Market Research, um, by 2024, it's going to have an estimated reach of $832 billion. So that's another $300 billion added to that. Can you imagine by 2024? So another four years. So this is a whole lot of money that a large collection of companies want in their pockets. And yet, just a few years ago, we saw a shift in the way makeup was viewed, viewed by many. Sorry, Many women are socialized from a young age that they are to look and behave a certain way or they will be seen or treated as inferior. To tell you the truth, we're already treated inferior as is. Our human rights, our basic human rights are already being trampled on and we're seen as inferior by this misogynistic, sexist, patriarchal society. And anyway... Part of this socialization is often through the use of makeup and other cosmetics. It isn't necessarily a universal experience, but many young girls share their early years living with acne by using makeup to cover it up. I actually want you guys to be thinking throughout this whole article. Um, beauty vloggers target young audiences and ingrain the idea that girls need to wear makeup with my morning routine and everyday makeup type videos that perpetuate the idea that a full face of makeup is required for every day. Even when they like do these beauty vloggers, when they do the whole thing of how I have like a natural like face and you'd look at all the stuff they use and you're like, that's not natural, honey. Natural would be not to be putting anything on your skin, but all right. As society changed, the cosmetic industry saw that it needed to change the way it targets its core demographic, which is women. Language that strictly targeted the insecurities of women, their need to please the men around them, and the general idea that women must be made up and perfect to be seen changed. Now the language that markets makeup and cosmetics has shifted to almost armor-like, the idea that makeup can be empowering made an appearance. While for some people this can be true, for others, and myself included, so this is Zoe, it became a barrier from being able to be comfortable in my own skin. Now again, I'm not opposed to people wearing makeup. Of course, you know, it's for you. If it pleases you, if you love it, that's fine. But if you feel like it's starting to be a drag to wake up every morning and take about an hour and a half to put your makeup on because you have to have the perfect face to go out, you know, in public, um, then and you feel a pressure to it and you don't feel comfortable anymore without it going out, that's when we need to start looking deeper into ourselves and see what the issue is. And again, I'm not judging anyone. If you do it for yourself, that is awesome. But if you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it, then, you know, we got, we got to get more self-aware, don't we? But again, no judgment on my part. So the article continues by saying, if people physically can't leave their homes without makeup because they are afraid of what others will think or how they will be perceived, shows a horrible side effect of the way our society has taught them to feel about themselves. Um, Zoe continues to say that in the time of Queen Elizabeth, women poisoned themselves with foundations made from vinegar and led to achieve the look that society told them was more desirable. Queen Elizabeth, she got, she had smallpox and because of it also, she had smallpox scars, which she would try to hide. The only problem is that it made the skin, her skin worse and worse and worse. Um, it eats it away and it poisons you. Don't forget kids that your skin is the largest organ. So, while today we don't go to such lengths as this, we are metaphorically poisoning ourselves by retaining this idea that we need an armor to cover our imperfections and be validated. Makeups, cosmetics, beauty, and the way people present themselves can be deeply personal. Individuals have different styles, and often the use of cosmetics can be used to achieve the style someone desires. Very true. The individual is not at fault for the way they are judged by society for wearing or not wearing makeup. Rather, it is the beauty industry itself that largely perpetuates these judgments. At the end of the day, the insecurity of their demographics is what lines their pockets. That was a difficult sentence or sentences to, to paragraph to like read. Oh, God. 
So the beauty industry and society at large tells people to hate themselves because it creates a profit. Of course, obviously all these companies, whatever it is, like we talked about marketing and everything, whatever industry you look at, they're going to create needs that are, aren't, I mean, well, they're going to create problems that are not there. They're going to make you want it, need it. You can't survive without it because that's the only way that they're going to make a sale, right? Um, and this is the problem. I mean, again, we said it in the beginning. They create problems where there are none. They create flaws where there are none. You know, imperfections where there are none. They make you feel ashamed about not having something. Um, they make you compare yourselves to others. Um, and again, we do live in a comparison culture. We live in a pornified society, very pornified um, society. And again, it's you have to achieve a certain, for this for, for example, a certain level of success. Um, and it puts so much pressure on people. And half the time, it's like working, 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 working in order to achieve a certain level of success that like society deems acceptable. At the end of the day, society isn't living your life. And you're living in this constant cycle of self-loathing. You feel, you know, you feel like you're, you're a failure. You feel that you're not part of a clique group, you feel just not worthy. And it's, and it's in all honesty, <laughs> fuck what society thinks. They're not your oxygen. Fuck what people think. We need to start, first of all, and this comes to with beauty especially, we need to start normalizing normal bodies. And like I said, that's what they say is a flaw, it isn't. The cellulite, the acne, the body acne, um, the scars, whatever it may be, these are not imperfections, these are not mistakes. And I know sometimes it's difficult to actually believe it because again, society tells us no, like you have to be a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And it's so deeply ingrained. And we feel so uncomfortable in our skin that when we try to get out a little bit and say, well, this is who I am, because society, you know, is telling you at the same time. And I did, I made a post about this on Instagram of society, give, like, sends us mixed messages. It tells us to be a certain way, to be ourselves. But when we try to be ourselves, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we meant, you know. And... Again, the whole thing, especially when it comes to beauty, is that they don't want to normalize normal bodies and normal skin because they don't make a profit out of it. Now, that's with the beauty industry. And again, they, they hide it in their marketing by saying, you know, like makeup empowers you, which fair enough, it might for some people, but not for, for many people. They feel like they need to hide certain aspects of themselves, certain perceived flaws but they're not flaws and let your skin skin breathe please sometimes honestly your skin needs to breathe um but then we have for example the the wellness industry or other industries where it says okay so you feel like you're a failure you feel like you're not living to your fullest potential here we have a class for you you just have to pay 150 dollars and we can show you how you can empower yourself and it's like whoa 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 so again profiting somehow um, I'll show you, you know, unleash the goddess within. Pay $100 for my course. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we can find it in, in numerous industries. And it's like that post I, I put up also on Instagram. So many industries would go out of business if we started loving ourselves, accepting ourselves in every way, shape, and form, and seeing that we are not failures. So many fucking industries would go down if we just really stopped, became self-aware, saw what the root problem is, which is technically them, not us, and they would go down. I found so many other articles which, well... I'm not going to, to, to talk about today, but I will be posting them and I'll be uh, making extra content for patrons, um, a little extra for the articles that I wasn't able to talk about here. Um, and I'll also post links on the Facebook page so that you guys can take a look and also be posting videos and whatnot. But in, in reality, there's, there's just so much out there and it's like really eye-opening. And it makes you really stop and think. Now, these are the things that we know, but we choose to kind of push aside and forget, you know. And so, again, 
don't forget that these industries they profit from our self-loathing our our self-hatred um from you know um perceived imperfections and flaws we don't have any of those things and we are not failures everybody is on their own journey and everybody gets there at their their own time you know um slow and steady wins the race as always and things are different to 100 150 years ago you know it's not life isn't and i'm not saying life was simple back then but life isn't as simple today you know and sometimes it takes a little bit more time to truly be your authentic self and who you are meant to be and not who society dictates for you to be with so much being said i know you guys seriously you're you're dizzy you're like she's ranting and raving it's actually been quite some time since i've ranted and raved so seriously i missed it i feel like there's a weight lifted off my shoulders <laughs> i do hope though that you enjoyed this episode um you know you know that you can always follow us on social media, on Facebook page and Instagram. You can find us at Beauty Unlocked Podcast or The Podcast. And you can always send us an email at beautyunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. So you will hear from me and the daughter of Lilith on next week's episode. Remember to love each other, love yourselves, spread some of that sweet, sweet love. Bye. Wow. Here's to the innovators, the makers, the doers, and the hustlers. With Facebook Elevate, you can grow your business, build your online presence, kickstart your career, or turn your passion of creating content into a reality. Facebook Elevate is a program that provides free digital marketing courses and one-on-one -on -one coaching from experts that can help you grow your business. Learn more at facebook.com slash fbelevate. Facebook Elevate, on the rise, together.